Oddly enough, it was the weatherman that first helped me to look at the book of Revelation differently. Now, I guess maybe in a sort of pay-it-forward kind of way, I've, I've encouraged you to look at the book of Revelation, to think about the book of Revelation, to read the book of Revelation, perhaps in a way that's a little bit different than what you're used to doing, maybe even a little uncomfortable. So last week, if you remember, we we said that uh, part of doing so is being able to read and see these visions and see these words and to imagine, to imagine what our world could look like, what our lives could be when we live under what God has already done for us in Christ Jesus. And imagine how that can change our world, how that can change us. We begin there with what God has done, and we imagine then what we can look like. Now, I remind you that because I think it's helpful, because I think you know, many other people have read the book of Revelation in a very different way. They read Revelation with an eye on the future. Very specifically, that is to say that the book of Revelation is about future happenings and future dates. Things that will happen and in what order, and in what sequence, and how it's going to go down, and what catastrophe is going to happen when, and what calamity is going to have to be faced when, and who's going to be involved, and how all of it ties together. And consequently, when we read the book of Revelation that way, we, we try to make sense of future things that we think are going to happen. We try to make sense of future things that we think are going to happen. Anybody, anybody ever have trouble trying to make sense of what's happening today? Thank you. See, we don't need to think about the beasts of the future. And today, so many people struggle with debt that feels like a lurking monster. You've ever spoken to someone whose marriage is failing or has just lost a loved one? You know what? It can feel like the end of the world. For some people, that great cosmic battle day after day is just to be able to find a job to support a family. Nothing in the future but about today. And there are many people today, some I know even in this room, that have to face that judgment of racism bigotry. Those are things we deal with today, not just some future time. And so I think what we see is that so much of Revelation is about today, not some years in the future. You remember Jesus? We like Jesus, right? Uh, We like to, to think we remember what he tells us, but let's be real. No, you don't. Once he told us, uh, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. Yeah, you don't have to confess. But don't worry about tomorrow, Jesus said, because today has worries of its own. Let's figure out today before we start worrying about tomorrow. But of course, none of us worry about tomorrow, right? Thank you. So much of Revelation is about today. See, actually, I used to fear listening to the weather report. 
Because it doesn't matter who it is, it doesn't matter what network they're on, what region they're in, when they are giving their weather report, every weather person, I think, in the world is going to say something like this. It hasn't been this hot in a hundred years. You ever heard them say that? Now, you can replace any other weather event you want. It hasn't been this cold. It hasn't been this rainy. It hasn't been this whatever. We haven't seen an earthquake like this. There hasn't been anything like this in a hundred years. Am I telling the truth? And I used to hear that, and immediately I think, oh my goodness, Armageddon's coming. It is the end of the world, because so much about how people read the end of the world has to do with what's going on with the weather. Fair? But it was something, something so small that one weatherman said that began to change my understanding. He had just given his hottest in a hundred years statement, and then he said, I wonder how people a hundred years ago felt. That got me thinking. I bet there were some people a hundred years ago who were sweating like a dog, thinking, my God, it's never been this hot. The end is coming. And a hundred years later, we're still thinking, still worrying about the same thing. In fact, thousands of years later, we're still wondering, still thinking the same way. And so we understand, I think, hopefully, that Revelation isn't teaching us about dates and about things that are about to happen, so be ready, be forewarned, necessarily. It's something that shows us Something very specific for us today. Now, to be sure, Revelation has something to say about someday in the future. Revelation does have concern about something in the future, but it's not about dates, it's not about calamities, it's not about certain events. It's about a sweeping conviction about the future. It's a faith in something about the future, and that faith is, it's in God's hand. God's in control of the future. God's got this. So maybe you've heard some people say, well, I don't need to read the book of Revelation. I went to the last page, and I got it all figured out. We win. Okay, that's good. But then some have come along, and they say, well, I don't, well yeah, okay. It's, well, it's not so much us. You read the book of Revelation. It's not so much that God wins. It's that we win. Well, there's something empty about that too. See, in fact, I think I've come to understand that the book of Revelation isn't that, it's not about that we win. It's not even about that God wins. Revelation reminds us that God has already won. And there's a big difference. God has already won. There is this battle between good and evil that goes on every single day. There is this force that, that would keep good from God's people. There are these things that are out there that we battle. But in that battle, Revelation reminds us that God's already won. And that should mean something to us. God's victory is assured. And since we are assured of that victory, we can have hope. Not just about the future but about today.
and about what God is doing for us today. Today. Tap your neighbor real quick and tell them today. Today. Because God is doing something. Y'all with me? Now we have this image in Revelation 7. A great image, I think. A, a wonderful image. But right before that, though, it's, it's the one that people remember most. It's the image of the 144,000. And obviously, people have had different ideas about the 144,000. And, as I was affirmed this morning, uh, when, when you hear a preacher talk about Revelation, when you go to a study about Revelation, I think what most of us want to do, we want to go and we want to get answers, don't we? We want things spelled out. We want to say, what does this mean? And obviously, it's pretty hard to do. Because, what does it take? Imagination. You've got to be willing to read differently. You've got to be willing to be open to what images God is going to give. But here we have this image of the 144,000. Of course, we want to know who are the 144,000. Where do they come from, and how do I get in? But it's not the only image God gives to John. I don't know that we have to be so concerned with who are these 144,000, and how do I make sure that I'm one of them? Because that would seem to suggest that God is selective. God is pin-picking who is to be counted. And the way that we can... Deny that. The way that we can go against that is by looking at the very next vision. The vision that you and I read together, that, that Clarence read for us. And in this vision, there is an innumerous amount of people around the throne. So many people, they can't be counted. And you know what? They don't all come from Shiner. They come from all over the place. They come from places you and I have never even heard of before. They speak differently. They look differently. And all of them are there. And what are they doing? They're worshiping. They aren't talking about their problems. They aren't talking about everything they had to go through. They are giving God everything they have to give. They're giving all of their love. They're giving all of their worship before God. It's beautiful. Some have called it it's the United Nations of Church. Everybody's there. One of the elders who's there looking on has a question. Well, kind of like ours, who are these people? Who are they that have come together? Who let them in? Where do they come from? And John says, you know who they are. The elder is assured that these are the people who have come through the great ordeal. Some of your Bibles may read that a little differently. Some translations say that those are the people who have come from the great tribulation. And when you talk about tribulation and revelation, watch out. But he says those are the people who have come through the great tribulation. That, that's a funny word. Tribulation, I think, for us means a, maybe a severe uh, testing or trial or a time of despair. But literally, the word means sort of a, a pressing, a, a pulling, a grinding. 
Those people have come from the great grind. You could say something about these people as they are there worshiping God. Where do they come from? They have come from the great grind of life. Ever felt like life was grinding, pushing, pressing? Now, these people around the throne of the Lamb, as they worship there, they've come from this grinding. and We don't quite know what that grinding is. What is John trying to tell us? Maybe it's persecution. Because we know in, in, in those times, being faithful to God wasn't always advantageous. Persecution wasn't as widespread as we tend to portray it to be. It wasn't as fierce as we sometimes think it is, but it was real. Your life could be in danger if you decide you, wasn't, you weren't going to worship Caesar, that if you were going to remain faithful to God. So maybe their persecution, maybe their grind is trying to be faithful while everyone else around them is trying to pull them away from that. Or maybe, maybe it's just a daily grind. Maybe it's just trying to figure out life as a Christian, every single day. So much of Revelation, as we read, seems to be a, a call to stand in faith. A call to stand firm in the conviction that God has won. And to stand faithful, even when everything else around you, even when everyone else around you doesn't want you to. In our family, we are, we are remembering in many ways uh, the life of uh, Gloria's dad, who's someone who I have always admired. This was a man who'll be, who would be 98 in October this year. At the age of 19, received a call from God to serve in ministry. Now, that's wonderful to him. To many people around him, it wasn't so wonderful. There were people in his family that probably doubted him. There are many who questioned him for sure. And there were many who said, well, you're on your own now. Do you know what he did? He served. He knew he had a calling from God. He knew that this is what God had put on his heart. And no matter what anybody else was saying around him, all of these years later, he has served. And I think when we see examples like that, I think when we have our own examples of when we can do that, we are living into what Revelation is trying to show to us, that our faith in God counts. That our faith in God is important. That it has direction for us and it has meaning and it gives us power, even when everything else around us is falling apart. Now, if we're going to talk about great tribulation as like persecution for these people, we, we first have to realize that you and I, we don't know persecution like our ancient brothers and sisters would. We don't know persecution like some others in the, in the, in the faith do around the world. We need to be real about that. We don't know what it's like to wake up and to be fearful that someone might be after us because we have a faith in God. We don't know what that's like. 
Now, what's funny is that some people actually say things like this. Being a Christian is easy. Please don't ever say that. Because being a Christian is not easy. And usually the people that that tell me things like that or say things like that, you can pretty much tell they haven't tried loving an enemy. They haven't tried forgetting, excuse me, forgiving someone who has wronged them greatly. They haven't tried loving someone that nobody else wants to love. These are all things Jesus did, by the way. And if you think that was easy, remind yourself of what it got Jesus. Usually those people who say it's easy, they haven't tried to do these things. They're the ones who, well, they'll serve and as long as they're happy, as long as things are going okay. They'll do what seems nice. But friends, following this Jesus guy, it's tough. It's been said throughout church history that Christians are not born. They are made. Because we don't come out into the world knowing how to love God, knowing how to love somebody else more than we love ourselves. We have to be taught those things. And when we get taught those kinds of things, you know what? It goes against everything that is comfortable about our lives. Following Christ is tough. You try loving and serving God every day, and you realize that it can be a grind. It can be oppressing. It can be a force to deal with. And don't misunderstand me. There is joy to be had in loving God and following God. But we have to realize is that that faith in God quite often will set us apart in ways that aren't always comfortable. And maybe that's what those who are around the throne now have had to deal with in some way. They've had to figure out how to get through that grind of loving and serving God when no one else around them cares. You see, we may not have persecution, but we do need to figure out how to live as faithful believers in Christ. We do need to figure out how it is that we can come through that grind in faithfulness with family problems, with financial burdens, with high egos, with tight schedules, with anxiety, with fear, with hopelessness, with struggle, with addiction, with you name, you fill in your own, with all these things that, that, are, at, that are with us every single day, all these things that we have to, 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 to deal with, to grind through. Our faith has to count for something. Faith in God's power, friends, has to have power. How is life grinding you right now? You don't have to tell me, but I mean, you know. You know what things are. Would it surprise you to know that that scary, 
gloom and doom book of Revelation has a promise for you. That promise is this. You can make it. Your faith in God will will see you through. It will strengthen you. It will empower you. And it will lead you. Don't worry about what you think might happen in the future because God's in control of all time and is doing something for you today. Then I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, and language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Then another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has made all nations drink the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then another angel, a third, followed them, crying with a loud voice, Those who worship the beast and its image, receive a mark on their foreheads or on their hands, they will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured unmixed into the cup of his anger, and they will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. There is no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast and its image and for anyone who receives the mark of its name. But here is a call for the endurance of the saints those who keep the commandments of God and hold fast to the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, blessed are the dead who from now on die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labors for their deeds will follow them. Friends, your faith in God's power today.